this is the Gloucester Historical Commission with a podcast about um, Gloucester's architectural styles and history and about how to uh, preserve your historic home. And uh, with me today, I have um, Prue Fish. I'm Mary Ellen Lepianca, and um, we may have others joining us from the Historical Commission who haven't gotten here yet, but we're starting anyway. And uh, the last time we talked, we had gotten as far as the Civil War era, around 1865, um, and we had talked about um, colonial and, and Gothic revival houses and mansard roofs and things like that. And now we're going to discuss the architectural styles going forward um, after the Civil War, um, especially uh, the, the houses that are referred to as Victorians. And uh, there's quite a lot to that. We have a lot of misconception about what a Victorian house is. Prue, can you speak to that? What do we mean by Victorian? Well, it's, it's a period of time when Queen Victoria was on the throne, and that's where the name comes from. But um, it was like an umbrella term that covered uh, some of these styles that Mary Ellen already mentioned, such as mansards and Gothic, Victor uh, Gothic revivals and Italianate houses, which Gloucester has many, many, many Italianate houses. You can tell them by usually there's a, cur a rounded window up in the, the gable end, up in the third floor or elsewhere. Um, and, and then there, uh, there are other variations, and it cul the period culminates with Queen Anne houses, um, which were the ultimate. Along the way, the Victorians got became more intricate. There were, uh, there were new tools like jigsaws where they could cut out uh, all kinds of uh, gingerbread to decorate the houses with on the exterior. And they, they were so, so fussy and so spooly and so fancy that people almost just got tired of them. And starting with the centennial in 1876, they, there was, that was just the beginning of looking back a little bit. Not much, but it was where the seeds were planted to look back at uh, things from the past, spinning wheels and fireplaces and items that had been out of common use for oh, 30 or 40 or 50 or more years. And so the seeds were planted to get away from the fussiness of the Victorian and move forward. Hmm. And what did they move forward to? <laughs> Well, they mar by the by the turn of the century. It seems like um, the turn of the century in the past was significant because uh, in 1800, the the Georgian houses were old hat, and federal was the new thing. And now we're up around 1900, and they're walking away from the fussy Victorian houses, and trying to come down, scale down, not necessarily in size, but in decoration to something a little more basic and get away from all of the fussiness of the Victorian. So uh, would that include um, a revival of the earlier, like earlier colonial style or um, some of the European-inspired uh, uh, romantic uh, architecture? Well, it, it did. Um, the, the Old House Journal, years and years and years ago, maybe 30 years ago, um, referred to some of the houses right in the early part of the 20th century as Romantic Victorians. The first of these was the Dutch Colonial that's always been very popular. Uh, Tudor houses were called stockbroker Tudors for the kind of upwardly mobile people that bought those. Uh, there were houses that looked like Cotswold cottages and French revivals, so and and also colonial revivals. So um, 
there was a, that's uh, the period of looking back and to romantic revivals, um, most of which were perhaps a, a cut above some of the uh, more vernacular houses that the everyday people lived in. Well, now, if, if I lived in a Dutch colonial house, how would I know that? It would have a, a gambrel roof um, looking toward back toward the 18th century when so many houses had a gambrel roof. A lot of them, there's variation, but a lot of them had a center entrance uh, with a fireplace on the end wall and a front-to-back living room. And often there would be a sunroom off the living room with doors on either side of the fireplace to go out to the sunroom. And these houses in the 20th century had central heat, they had bathrooms, they had pantries and cabinets in the kitchen, and it was um, a, a much, much more modern lifestyle than was seen in the in the 19th century. Now, I, I think that's fascinating, um, but I'm trying to remember or, or imagine what a gambrel roof looks like, what its silhouette might be. Well, it's it's a, a roof that has two pitches at the getting to the ridge pole. Um, it slopes up to, uh, I guess you'd say, a, a, a primary, a first ridge, and, and then it slopes up again to the ridge pole at the top, mm -hmm. and then the same is repeated on the backside. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, almost what you'd expect to see in a barn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm thinking of the Dutch barns that you see in Pennsylvania that have that shape of roof. Oh, you're, you're right. Yeah. You're right. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Um, and what about um, <clears throat> the other uh, styles of a romantic revival? If you had a French revival, what it would, it, what it would look like? Well, uh, it <coughs> might be stucco. It mm -hmm. might have a, um, a small tower on a corner. It might have a, some kind of a tile roof or slate, slate roof. Mm -hmm. Um, but a, a lot of variation. Right, a lot of variation. That's the key, I think, to that whole period is that there's tremendous variety. Uh -huh. um, now, the, um, the, uh, the other styles that you mentioned... Um, well, the more vernacular style, if that's what you're thinking about. I think so, yeah. Uh, around the turn of the century, the American Foursquare... Uh, came in very, very strongly. Um, it would have a, a hipped roof, which is four slopes from each side, maybe a widow's walk on the roof, um, a porch across the front that they called a piazza. Um, I said that once, and somebody thought I was putting on airs, but <laughs> I grew up in a house with a piazza. And um, uh, they were... The, the interesting thing that I've observed about these is houses is that um, they could be dressed up to, for example, look Spanish with stucco exterior and, and a, maybe a, um, an, a tile roof, uh, or they could be dressed up with um, pillars around the porch and, and absolutely traditional looking. Uh, so they they could take, or they could be, a lot of them were very arts and crafts with a lot of oak woodwork and built-in um, oh, uh, bookcases and, and perhaps a, a coppered ceiling. So the basic form of this hipped roof house with a porch on the front uh, could be dressed up to look, to take, take on many other styles. Right. Mm-hmm. And likewise, uh, that style was soon followed by the, uh, bu the bungalows. Bungalows took the country by storm, and especially in the Midwest, there were rows and rows and streets and streets of, of bungalows. And the bungalows had the same capability as the American Foursquare to take on other, other looks. Sometimes they had... Uh, a field stone foundations that were showing uh, and were very arts and crafts looking. Uh, and 
Other times they were rather simple and just vernacular, but they, they could be dressed up in different imaginative ways. And so there was quite a variety, but underneath all was the basic one-story bungalow, or some of them were actually story and a half, but not two-story. And this was very, very popular. Um, I wish I had brought a, a poem that somebody wrote about a love affair with the, the bungalow. It's, it's quite, quite amusing. <clears throat> it's an interesting word. Do you know the derivation of the word bungalow? It comes, it actually comes from India. Mm -hmm. um, they were, the, it refers <clears throat> to the houses that the uh, British lived in, in the, um, when India was a, a colony. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe it was bungla or something like uh -huh. that. But, uh, but that's, that's where it comes interesting. from. Now, uh, which sometimes you see houses that are stucco on the exterior, and they have exterior wood, kind of like you see in, uh, in England, um, like they're Elizabethan or something like that, or Tudor, is that it? They, yeah, um, it's, it, they're Tudor. Uh -huh. And the, the exposed wood uh, was intended to be an honest-looking house, and you were supposed to think that was part of the framework of the house, the skeleton uh. of the house. It was just decorative. It didn't have any structural um, function, mm -hmm. but uh, it was the, the, the look uh, that you was, would see the framework so of the house. So is this what you meant when you referred to stockbroker houses? Was it uh, upwardly mobile people who... Yeah, they uh, were They were kind of... Uh, as a, the Tudors were kind of a, a cut above the, mm -hmm. the typical house. and So it was a little pretentious, the stucco. It, it could be. Uh, exterior it, wood. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> I think there's a, a, a house like that down on Atlantic... Road in uh, Gloucester um, on the back shore that's actually slated for demolition, but oh uh, yes, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I've always I've lived in the area and drive by it and always wonder at the at the Tudor exterior and how how it got to be built and what they were thinking when they built it uh, on the back shore in Gloucester. And I should have mentioned when we were talking about the the late Victorian houses the stick style. Victorian houses had uh, horizontal, vertical, and diagonal pieces of wood decorating them, and that was the same theory. This is an honest house, and mm -hmm. these are the bones of the house, even though they were not structural. Mm -hmm. And the Tudor is, is similar. Mm -hmm. um, they, look, they look very different, but the, the theme is the same. Now, the stick style, does that include the houses we see sometimes that have a great uh, variety in the shapes of the shingles that are put on it? it they can, yes. Mm -hmm. they, can, they can have um, towers. Mm -hmm. They can have uh, porches. They can, this, that is almost the ultimate. That and the Queen Anne are the ultimate Victorians. There's no end to the frivolous decoration, mm. the, the gingerbread, the mm -hmm. brackets. They, they have it all. No mm -hmm. wonder if the Victorians soon got tired and were just uh, wanting to get back to basics and to a more... Well, a, a case in point is the uh, Saunders House, which is uh, part, part of the Sawyer Free Library. If you look at pictures of what that house first looked like, it was... Um, just embellished to the point where you, it almost looked like it was too top-heavy to stand, like it was going to fall into the street. It had so many uh, bells and whistles attached to it. Well, and uh, then later on, you see pictures of where that was all stripped away and taken off. Well, there's more to that story, okay. Mary Ellen. All there's right. a lot more to that story. <laughs> um, that house, the, the Saunders house at the Sawyer Free Library, started out as a gambled roof Georgian house mm -hmm. built in 1764. And, and it was like the other houses on Middle Street with the same roof, a center entrance, mm -hmm. beautiful paneling on the inside, uh, some usually with pairs of chimneys so that they could have a grand staircase. Mm -hmm. And so that is what, what was there. Mm -hmm. And about 1800, maybe a little earlier, uh, 
Captain Beach bought bought the house from the Saunders estate. Mm -hmm. And he was very flamboyant and had a lot of money. And he took off the gambrel roof. There are little bits of it left in the attic. Um, he took the roof off, and he put up another story with a hip roof on, on the top uh, that was a little bit smaller footprint than the original so that uh, there was like a, a, a balustrade ar around where, where the, the two roofs met so that you could perhaps go out and walk around the balustrade, but he wasn't through. He hired Jacob Smith, who was uh, Gloucester's best architect builder from the federal period, and he built two more stories on top oh of the, that one. So <laughs> we're up to about five stories. Oh. And it was an observe, the, the fourth floor was an observatory. Really? And it had, it was eight-sided. It was an octagon. It was 21 and a half feet in diameter. And it had a threshold so that you could w open the door and walk out and walk around. It was like a wedding cake. <laughs> and then on top of that, the next floor was rounded with elliptical windows. And, and on top of the whole thing was a dome. Oh, for heaven's sake. Like the state house. <laughs> so it was before photography. There are no pictures. Oh. Um, nobody has found, we've found descriptions, but nobody has found a drawing mm. or a painting or anything. But the roof, out where you would go out of the octagon, the observatory, and walk around, the, in later use, they would have used tar and gravel but they used tar and seashells oh. and it on canvas. Oh. And it leaked like a sieve. <laughs> and 25 years later, they took it down and got back to a, a rather traditional three-story house mm -hmm. until I'm not sure, I don't think it was Sawyer, I think it was maybe Pew or another owner then turned it into this wild Victorian okay. that you were That's describing. That's I saw the pictures of, yeah. And, and he built a tower in the front that was almost as high as Captain Beach's observatory. Oh, for heaven's sake. So there was a huge <laughs> um, tower. Mm -hmm. And there was a port cochere, and there was uh, porches and piazzas, and the whole, it had everything, mm -hmm. the, the whole works. And... When it, when it was given to uh, the city for the, uh, the purposes of a library, that was, it, it, well, it, was, it remained like that for quite a while, and it was in, into the 20th century when all of that, including the tower, was all torn off, and it was brought back to a simple Georgian-looking mm. house. <laughs> the other thing that's notable about that house is the front facade is uh, flat boards that are scored so that it looks like it's masonry. Mm -hmm. And if you look closely, uh, it, the rest of the house has clapboards, but the, the front is scored to look as though it's uh, built with masonry. Interesting. So that's the story of the Saunders wow. house. <laughs> it, it has the most amazing history. It's, it's had a complete metamorphosis mm -hmm. over and over. And so, and I think this is very good for, for listeners to be uh, thinking about because when they look into the history of their house, they may find that the windows have been changed or that bay windows were added or taken off or that the roof line was changed or that the chimney was removed or moved to a different place. Um, and there's all sorts of reconfigurations that a house mm -hmm. might have undergone. And they might go into the basement and find a beam that dates to the 17th century underneath it all. So it's very interesting how many um, uh, you know, transformations a house can go, go through in the course of its uh, lifetime. Well, they, they do. And the, especially the earlier houses, um, you can be misled because they recycled 
they didn't throw anything away. So mm -hmm. if a house was torn down or maybe even burned, they would salvage what they could mm -hmm. and, and incorporate it into an, a new house, which in any number of instances that I've seen myself have, has le have led people astray in, in documenting the date of the house because they, um, they, they are misled by uh, the reuse of old mm -hmm. materials. Right. So now um, you, we were talking earlier and you were describing a, a very interesting change that occurred uh, during the 20th century in, uh, a, a, after World War II. Or was it World War I? I, I guess it was World well, War II. Well, um, before we get to World War II, mm -hmm. um, we haven't talked about uh, the Bauhaus and the, the oh, beginnings yes. of contemporary. Uh, it, the things were uh, not doing well in, in uh, Germany, and some of the, uh, of the architects from Germany uh, came, came over here to, to Harvard, and like, um, um, oh, I can't think, think of his name. Help me out, Bill. Some of the, Van, Van der Rohe, and um, uh, yeah, who is the? the yeah, Mies Van der Rohe, and um, let's see, there were a whole, Marshall Brewer, um, the head of Harvard Graduate School of Design. Yeah, and, and who's the one that built, some of them built houses in? Um, Lincoln. In Lincoln, and one of them, um, there was quite a hullabaloo when when um, SPNEA, uh, who's now New, uh, Historic New England, purchased one of these houses. Um, you know, I I, I, I actually know the was name. I actually was in charge of fixing it myself when I was at SPNEA. And really, the, that, tell yeah, us about it, Bill. That the house uh, leaked like a sieve. It had a flat roof, and it didn't have any detailing for winter. It was it was a house that would have been okay in California. Gropius. Gro Walter Gropius. <laughs> Walter house, Gropius. Yeah. And um, it it also had cork floors, and a lot of uh, houses in the a lot of industrial and commercial buildings had cork floors, which sort of makes sense. However, when they wear out, they're impossible to fix. Because you have to remove them, and they're glued down, so they come up in little crumbles. Mm. And you can't get them to ever match in color. So you have to completely strip the floor and do it all over again. <laughs> we spent so much time on the Gropius floor. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think the Gropius house was pretty radical when it was built. I, th I think it's quite pleasant. Well, I mean, the, I mean Gropius... Some of the things, his early stuff seems all right, but he also did the Harvard Law School dormitories, which uh, from the outside look like prisons and from the inside look like look worse. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're absolutely horrible. Oh, it's institutional <laughs> architecture as opposed to residential. Right, very, very low budget. Yeah. Uh, but, but strip windows and, and uh, just horrible stuff. I mm -hmm. mean... <laughs> and you know the the other thing that I didn't mention even with some of the Victorian uh, architects is that they some of them designed furniture to go with their houses and and this these Bauhaus people uh, the 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 Breuer chair the Marcel um, Breuer yeah yeah um, and and I think his house Corbusier was did also yeah and and even back uh, when we're talking about stick style and back there. Um, Eastlake. Well, Frank Lloyd Wright. Also. And Frank Lloyd, we yeah. haven't talked about yeah. Frank Lloyd Wright at all, so right, right. maybe That's, you can talk about well, Frank Lloyd Wright. I mean, I'm sorry, I haven't, I don't know what you've covered today, but the uh, we don't really have too many prairie-style houses around here, <laughs> but um, Frank Lloyd Wright was uh, probably the most famous American architect of all time, I think, and he, he had the, the great advantage of living a really long life. I think he was about 90-something when he died, and he his career was over 70 years long. And so he was around from before skyscrapers right up until like the 1959 or 1960 or something like that. And so he, he covered every conceivable uh, style 
in in architecture, but he created his own style, his really mm-hmm. his own mm-hmm. style, the which prairie prairie, prairie style, style, which was a derivative somewhat of a shingly kind of style to start with, but it was it was a modern a modernist version of mm-hmm. the shingle style, and he was able to, and some of his most famous buildings are like Falling Water in Pennsylvania, which mm-hmm. is a wonderful building. Um, at least it, it was a wonderful building in concept, and if you ever go there, you suddenly realize that it has huge problems. The The views are in the wrong direction. The ceilings are about seven feet tall, because he was a small man. <laughs> <laughs> and it it is structurally unstable, but besides that, it was a great, <laughs> a great building. Well, there's two houses in Manchester, New Hampshire, that are um, one of one of them is open to the public. It belongs to the Courier Museum up up there. But um, I think when they, I think they might have been given the house, but they spent millions trying to salvage it because it, um, he was all about the look and not necessarily. Um, practical with materials or... Right, and and again, I'm afraid, I mean, Frank Lloyd Wright was a complete genius. There's no doubt about that. I mean, many of these architects, they were sort of like, I consider them similar to Picasso, someone who's very, very uh, brilliant, but also experimenting. And and so uh, another famous building by Wright was the uh, synagogue, I believe it's in Chicago, another building it was very very dramatic for the times and they've spent the last 50 years trying to prevent it from leaking and falling mm. down because he he wasn't much of an engineer he didn't mm. really calculate his loads correctly and so a lot of these buildings are are having to be retrofitted with stronger structural elements mm. and he built he had a lot of built-in furniture in in his houses mm-hmm. as well as designing other things but um, built-ins Mm. Right, right. But again, he did his own furniture too, and mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if anyone's ever sat in any of his furniture, but it's it it looks good on paper. But it was, I mean, imagine <laughs> furniture that's drawn only with a straight edge, mm. and uh, it's human beings are not drawn with straight edges, and so it's pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I'm thinking of his like dining room chairs that have high backs and and just uh, straight slats in the back. Yeah, and he was such an egotist that. He would not compromise at all about anything in the design. Basically, he would just tell the client, just keep paying the money and be quiet. Well, you've just described almost every creative person I know in <laughs> history and, and at the moment, <laughs> <laughs> myself included. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I, I uh, you know, <laughs> we all fit into that category, I think, of being egotistical. <laughs> Our <laughs> listeners also, I, I'm, I'm assuming. <laughs> Uh, and our listeners are wondering what their house is and what the history of their house is. And um, before we get on to the topic of, of what not to do to your house, uh, let's let's try to bring the history up to the present. Um, and I was interested in something you were saying earlier about uh, how um, architecture is a reflection of changes in culture. Uh, so that, for example, before... Uh, the the war um, people people's houses were built so that they entertained and greeted the public at the front of their house, and after the war the architecture changed and the um, the the social uh, contract changed so that all the entertaining now took place at the back of the house. I thought that was fascinating. Mm. They, they say more pa- about patio, that. patios and mm-hmm. terraces, uh, you know, in in the back uh, for entertaining came in, and no more sitting on the front stoop mm-hmm. or in the rockers on the front front porch. And as I said. Uh, I have been accused of putting on airs when I say piazza, but if you look at at the the plans from houses from around the turn of the century and and uh, and the American four squares, they do call them piazzas. Mm-hmm. The, the pattern books call them that. Yes, yeah. yeah. And my so mother, my mother called our 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 house with a we had an American I grew up in an American four square with a piazza mm-hmm. and we'd go out on the sit on the piazza mm-hmm. well so it's a different way of interacting uh, for people to interact with one another 
which is reflected in the architecture. And as a, as an anthropologist, that interested me very much to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> well, but. I mean, I th I think we've got um, social differences. We've got economic differences. Mm -hmm. We have cultural differences in the sense that we have urban and suburban and rural. Yeah. Uh, uh, communities with each one has got a different uh, take this on it, true. Mm -hmm. but 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 clearly the the changes. I think the changes since World War II are absolutely fascinating. Really. I mean, so and is that when the ranch came in? Was a yeah. ranch house? Yeah. And how is a ranch different from, uh, you know, the the one story house that you mentioned earlier? Well, a bungalow would be one story, but mm -hmm. but it would have a. Um, a, a porch or something on the front or a portico or, or mm -hmm. something. Um, and the, the ranch was more, more emphasis on the backyard mm -hmm. and maybe an attached garage. Well, I, I, you're absolutely, you are absolutely correct. And I, I think the, the bungalow, um, which we do have examples around here, mm -hmm. but you see them mostly in California. I think that's mm -hmm. the perfect place for them. Uh, was was originally developed without the automobile. I think some ah. of them were pre-automobile or at least non-automobile mm -hmm. types of communities. Whereas the ranch, you basically had to have a car, right? And because of, there were real suburban it was mm -hmm. sub subdivisions, mm -hmm. sub in, that's right. Big Levittowns. Levittowns, the perfect starting point. And mm -hmm. it, the GIs come back; they don't have a lot of money. You mm -hmm. you create the simplest, cheapest housing you can. Mm -hmm. It was put up as fast as possible. You had well, how many, like three or four million GIs coming back, mm. and most of them hadn't been married, and they wanted to get married, and they wanted to have children, and they wanted to have a house. So you slapped together and a something. Car. <laughs> and a car. Exactly. And they did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They did. And picture windows came in with the ranch. Yeah, you're the, talking about my parents. <laughs> <laughs> my, my parents, my father came back from the war, and they bought a, a, a 1760 house. Uh, uh. And I grew up with my mother remodeling it and mm -hmm. fixing it up and tearing walls out. And re oh, my goodness. And, it was, and I was climbing underneath looking for for George Washington's uh, musket and oh, sword. Dear. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my my mother wanted to do, and she was stuck in an American Foursquare that she didn't like. Yeah. But so that that's interesting what you raise uh, the question of uh, tearing out walls and changing the house if if a person owned a, a historic or historically significant house today what should they not do to it Well I think I think the first step is to figure out what's important and mm -hmm. uh importance can be uh, another way to say is what's what's valuable. You don't want to tear out anything that'll, that's structural, you know. That's or if you do, you want yeah. to know what you're doing so it doesn't fall down. Mm -hmm. But um, if you have some historic features, fireplaces, paneling, decorations, finishes, which could be things even paint or or wallpaper or things like that, that seem to be historic, it's worthwhile trying to figure out what they are and how old they are, and how significant they are. And if they are significant, I, I, I always try to tell people not to, uh, to, you know, to really be careful before you remove them. This includes mm -hmm. windows, for example. Mm -hmm. Beautiful Federalist or, even, or Georgian windows are so often removed and replaced with vinyl because mm -hmm. people say, oh, it's much better. But frankly, those windows are better made than anything you can buy today. And if they're if the weather stripping is replaced and if you add a storm window on the outside, you'll have the same performance as a thermal pane window. Lots of times it's because the ropes have broken uh, that the weights are tied to. And rather than do such a low-tech thing as put in new clothesline, uh, they simply tear yeah. out the windows. Right. And, I mean, there are people around here that... that do nothing but fix old windows, and mm. it's it's not that difficult it to isn't, do. It isn't that difficult. I, I think you have to be really careful tearing out original fabric uh, yes. of the house. Yes. It, mm -hmm. Better to leave it leave it alone and work around it. Mm -hmm. I think I might have said before. I've always, I've told people try to accommodate the house mm -hmm. instead of the, trying to make the house accommodate you. Yes. Right. If, it, if you want a big kitchen that family room combination maybe you shouldn't stay in the house you're in mm -hmm. or maybe you should 
just bear with what you have. Mm-hmm. Or, or I mean, it, it's I mean, when you think about it, these early period houses didn't really have kitchens in the way that we are familiar with, nor bathrooms, and so mm-hmm. uh, nor central heating. So if you're trying to introduce all that, or air conditioning, which is often the, the very damaging to historic buildings, but mm-hmm. uh, if you're if and they didn't have as many things. And so the modern family today needs more space, or they think they need more space, to follow up on your point. Uh, as an architect, I've been involved in adding um, additions to historic buildings. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, I think that's the pa- that it, it's better to do that than to tear it down. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes you have to adaptively reuse them or, or whatever, but... Uh, you don't want to destroy the the historic building to save it. You 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 really need to be more respectful. Um, but it's tricky. It's really hard to fit in fit a modern family and all of its accoutrements mm-hmm. and services and functions. Mm-hmm. You in, need more closets. Yeah, and mm-hmm. yeah, closets. But I I had mentioned I think before we started that the the American Four Squares and starting there pretty much. There, there was central heat, there was bathrooms, there were closets, there were cabinets in the kitchens. And there's a book called The Comfortable House. And it they were comfortable compared to the 18th or 19th century houses. They were comfortable. Mm-hmm. They did have some of these creature comforts that it built right in. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, when you think that uh, there wasn't that, I mean, by... The early 20th century, you had everything, they had everything we have today, mm-hmm. basically. It may not have been mm-hmm. as efficient, but they had electricity, running mm-hmm. water, uh, insulation, central heat. They, they didn't have air conditioning typically, but they had sleeping porches and tall ceilings, and mm-hmm. they were designed for ventilation, and so you had cross ventilation. They, they, they were still, uh, they were operating as pre modern buildings in terms of design, u- utilizing the orientation, the wind, the light, mm. and then they had these backup functions like central heating and electricity and lighting. Wow, pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. It's the best period mm. for American <laughs> architecture, I think. Yeah. yeah. That's wonderful. They, it was, life was infinitely more comfortable than it had been mm. previously. What about now? Um, when we see some of these houses being torn down or demolished, the houses that are being erected on top of them, they look plastic to me. I don't know. What are they? What, and some people refer to them as McMansions because they're usually large. They usually extend right out to the edge of whatever property there is. So they tend to be bigger than what was there previously. Can you, can you speak to what we're witnessing today for architectural trends here on Cape Ann? Well... I haven't paid much attention. Okay, okay I, can, I can comment on that. The uh, a lot of the existing historic buildings in Cape are in Cape Ann. A, a lot of them are um, grandfathered in. They they're probably on lots that are small or they're too close to the property lines. They they wouldn't be allowed today to be built. But if because they pre-exist, they're grandfathered in, meaning that you can literally tear them down and rebuild on the same footprint without a variance. Mm-hmm. You have to um, uh, be within the height limit, which I believe is 31 feet or 30 feet in Gloucester. Uh, but if you're going to build on the same footprint, you don't. You just ask f- and you get a building permit to do that. But what happens, to follow up on your point of how they look different, is the floor-to-floor height is often higher in a modern building. A lot of these historic buildings are really quite small. Mm-hmm. And they may have been one and a half stories or or at most one and three quarter stories tall. Mm-hmm. And they had a low uh, sill, so they were close to the ground. The new houses have a tendency to be out of the ground a couple of feet more. And then they've got a 10-foot floor-to-floor height. And they've got two full floors and then an attic. So and that's suddenly, what makes them look so and large. suddenly yeah. they're much bigger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they also don't have the detail. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the reasons we like a lot of these older buildings, particularly Federalist and Queen Anne, which has a lot of detail, mm-hmm. um, 
is that that detail is expensive mm -hmm. and people leave it out. And so you get these relatively simple boxes that are often covered with vinyl or, or uh, plastic trim mm -hmm. without any details. Mm -hmm. And they, they're kind of plastic looking. Yeah, they did. So I and wasn't I, wrong I in that. I wondered about that. Am I wrong? Why, why, does that, those, why do those houses look so plastic? When Maybe. people call them colonials, I don't get as upset as I do when, when you're talking about an old house. Oh. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the new houses they're building, if they want to call imitate them. some of the colonial features. Well, or they, tape. They, they tape I think they style. wave to them as they go by. Oh. I mean, they're, they're, they're so vestigial. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know what style mm -hmm. you would call half of this stuff. Well, they, they try to imitate the Cape Cod cottage. Cape Cod Look, and shingle know. style. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a little bit of colonial thrown in there. Right. Yeah. Uh, but but the way it's put together is not at all authentic. You no, can immediately no, identify no. it as some weird modern conglomeration. The, the woodwork and the doors are just minimal, probably mm -hmm. uh, plastic vinyl doors and and just like clamshell molding ar ar around them. And so, so but forth. what do we call this? Is this like the postmodern style or something? I, we see postmodernist with a capital P, capital M is an actual style. Style, okay. And these are not postmodernists. No. I mean, these I almost call these vernacular uh -huh. buildings, which is a you know a grab bag term for what or a builder vernacular. You know, it's it's as if a there was there yeah. wasn't an architect involved. Ah, okay. Even though. Every, every plan yeah. has to get stamped by an architect yeah. or an engineer, mm -hmm. but not they're not high style. They're not right. they're they're, <laughs> they're not so very nice. Are, so then now going back, what is postmodern? What is a do I live in a postmodern house? No, not as not at all. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, postmodernist was um, a reaction. We, you know, we've had these revival revivalist movements where we've had. Uh, which happen over and over again. I mm -hmm. mean, cl the classicism has been revived at least two or three times. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you go back to your Art History 101 uh, classes, you you see that uh, after a classical period, you you have a a it, it trends into a mannerist kind of style with a capital M or a Baroque style where things start to get distorted. And this happens in painting, and it also happens in building. Mm. And so the postmodernist post uh, movement, which was uh, uh, Philip Johnson and, and Robert Venturi and, and Graves from Princeton and people like that, uh, was a mannerist reaction to... <sighs> Neo, 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 neo classicism. I would say, and so they were they were taking uh, uh, classical, classical with a capital C uh, elements and then distorting them in a in a in an exaggerated way with hmm. with weird columns and weird angles and, and things like that and weird colors. Mm. It, it reminds me of uh, something I read recently that said that. Uh, um, all advances in art um, involve disruption of some kind, where you know a, uh. a, a style is taken to an extreme or is exposed in some way, um, some one-dimensional way, or is abstracted. Or it's used in a different way. Or used yeah. in a different uh, way. Michelangelo right? could have been considered a mannerist uh, mm -hmm. architect because he was doing things that no one had ever done, but still using a a classical or Renaissance vocabulary. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, th I tend to agree with what you say. I mean, mm -hmm. Picasso is a perfect example. Yeah. Someone who could draw like Raphael but decided not to. Right. One of, one of the things that I think distorts some of the newer houses is um, trying to do a build a traditional house but designing from the inside out. For example, uh, if they have a chimney in the middle they're not going to be able to have a grand staircase. So they bump the chimney over so it's not in the traditional place or they leave it out completely. And a new house that's a center entrance with two floors with no chimney, it, it's just glaringly wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but there is, a, a, I saw a new house advertised that was um, resembling a Greek revival. It was advertised, I think, last week, not in Gloucester. And the the pitch of the roof was too steep, and they had a front door, 
and instead of having the two traditional windows on either, up on to the right or left of the door, they had two paired windows almost over to the corner, and it was a very expensive house. It was around, well, it was around a million, and and if they had just lowered the roof, but you knew they wanted to get rooms up there, so they were going to increase the pitch of the roof, and and the windows were. I don't know why they did that, but they weren't centered in the space, and and it, it just it was such a, an obvious mistake that they just weren't catching on to. It would have been easy to correct. <laughs> I, I I you know the, the the question is what's driving the design, right? And um, if you looked at how Renaissance architects uh, like um, Palladio. Uh, design buildings, they, they started from proportions. They started from proportions of the rooms mm -hmm. and the proportions of the buildings. And, and you go into a Palladian building in Italy or a building that's like Palladio, and the, the proportions are so wonderful, are so exquisite, that you just f it just feels right. Mm -hmm. And it, it mm -hmm. doesn't even matter what scale it is because it's the proportion. But it, 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 at the end of the day, uh, most modern buildings, real or modernistic buildings, particularly these builder vernacular ones, have horrendous proportions. Mm. The rooms, they're not, it's, it's, first of all, they're not even rooms. They continue, they blend, they bleed into uh -huh. other spaces. Uh, the ceilings are too low, the ceilings are too flat. Uh, you, you never are enclosed or there, there's no progression of spaces. I mean, this gets down to the fact that the architects or whoever designed these things really don't know what they're doing. Um, <laughs> and not to sound like a snob, but, well, I am. But, well, and we uh, just hope that our listeners aren't, don't fall into any of those categories. No, of course not. <laughs> but but I, I, I think a lot, of these, a lot of these complaints that people have about these modern McMansions, ab about just not feeling right, is that the proportions of the spaces are... Are wrong, and I mean, you go into a one by one by by two space, and or you go into a a, a one by one point three to you know two point five space, and you sort of go whoa. Wait, yeah. <laughs> sort of like well, being this in the funhouse. You're probably familiar with the book, the old way, the old way of seeing, and it's uh, it suggests that the the builders from 200 years ago, for example, had an innate sense of proportion. And there'll be houses that everybody loves. And you don't really know why you love that house more than another house, but it's the proportion mm. and how the old timers um, were, were really in tune with, with doing it right, whereas newer builders tend to design from the inside out right, or they'll right. move mm -hmm. the window over because it's convenient that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Or right. there'll be a blank space over the front door because they're going to put a bathroom there and they don't want a window. Um, and so that's why almost every town has buildings that everyone really loves. Really loves, yeah. And well, I think uh, from the perspective of human psychology, from a scientific perspective, there's documented evidence that uh, people prefer to have uh, things that are symmetrical. Um, and and in, in people, individuals who are not symmetrical usually are not interacted with or are not liked. Um, and it's the same with environments that are not symmetrical. It, it isn't to say that everything has to be uniform, just that there has to be balance. And I think there's also an analog in, in art where you have uh, perspective and the perspective, the rules of perspective uh, and of composition are clear um, if you have a, a canvas in which the uh, scene is, is divided exactly in half, it's not as pleasing as if it's one-third to two-thirds between the sky and the earth or the uh, horizon mm -hmm. line or whatever. So, and people, without, any, without even being conscious of it, will respond more positively to the exactly. more felicitous I, I, I right. composition. Right. Right. So yeah. there, there's yeah. certainly something in that's, that we're hardwired for regarding art or beauty yeah, or well, whatever, however variously we want to define it. Well, I mean, just think of the golden rectangle. Mm -hmm. And I mean, as there soon as go. you see a golden rectangle, 
you, you it, I think everyone finds that harmonious. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the, and in terms of beauty, uh, human beauty, they've done all kinds of studies where symmetry right. is symmetry all, all, is all models. Thing. If you look at yep. a model, their, their faces are insanely symmetrical, right. absolutely symmetrical. Mm-hmm. But well, either that or they break the mold, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, one of the trends in modern architecture now, though, is to take is is, is symmetry is which would have been uh, a cold of Beaux Arts uh, sort of neoclassicism, which was typically quite symmetrical. But with a complex building, you you typically can't be fully symmetrical. You have uh, secondary functions that are different, and and if you go back into classicism, into Roman buildings and stuff, they they were they were more or less symmetrical, but they they really weren't mirror, you know, left and right weren't mirror images because you had different functionalities in different spaces. But in in a lot of modern or international style architecture, you you take a symmetry and then you break it mm-hmm. by rotating something or having having intersecting grids and things like that which mm-hmm. in, if it's done very well mm-hmm. uh, it works. i think it works mm-hmm. it works if it's done poorly it is not so great right now you mentioned beaux arts um when when you say that the first thing i think of is a tiffany lampshade um, but uh, I, but it, but that's not an adequate explanation of that <laughs> style of art and architecture. Uh, so, are we talking about the 1920s? Well, the Ecole de Beaux Arts, which is was based in Paris, um, and it was literally the the school of of good or beautiful beautiful art, beautiful art, art, <laughs> art and architecture. Um, I I don't recall exactly when it started, mid 19th century, I think, mm-hmm. um, and it lasted. It, it 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 still exists, I believe, in some capacity, smaller capacity. Mm-hmm. But the style is um, is gone now. But the uh, the Beaux Arts was another uh, effectively uh, neoclassical revival mm-hmm. that it was used. Uh, I, I would say the Supreme Court building or the Capitol in the United States could be considered Beaux Arts bu- uh, Art buildings, even though they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were the kind of thing that Beaux Arts would would like a re- revival of classical detail and proportions and style, but redone in as modern architecture. Mm-hmm. But would they be um, like residential, um, or may- maybe more urban? Right. Urban? I mean, typically more larger scale, municipal scale y- buildings. Yeah. The uh, the famous uh, exposition in Chicago, uh, eighteen ninety eight, I think. Uh, the city radiant. The Colombian The Colombian Exposition. Yeah. I, I think it was 1898. It was 1890s, it, whatever. Right, what, which, yeah. where they actually built all the buildings out of out of uh, paper mache and plaster and wood, but they looked like um, they looked like Rome during the imperial period, and it was absolutely wonderful because <laughs> it was very symmetrical and had these great sort of grand spaces, which which. Uh, Appealed to the times. I mean, this is when America had a lot of self-confidence. It was expanding. It was building the Panama Canal. It was becoming one of the richest and most powerful countries in the world. And this is the kind of thing that America wanted to see. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how America saw itself. We've we've um, come down to earth a bit more since then. And so there aren't too many of these grand, grand projects anymore. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though, how, I mean, the more we talk about this, the more, the more I realize how much... Our architecture reveals about culture and about history, and that this would be true for other societies as well. Um, thinking yeah. about, for example, the um, you know the Stalin uh, era or Mao Zedong era type architecture in those countries are a reflection of those times. Um, and 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 thinking of that, let me let me just ask you, what do you what do you think about the What's the next step? What do you think will be the architectural style of the future? That's oh, a good question. <laughs> I've got some strong ideas about that. Prue, do you want to say I, something? I don't. I, I'm at a loss for words on that. that. Circular well, pods like we might yeah. have on Mars? Well, I think, I think w- architecture always reflects the mm-hmm. society that it's in. And I, I think Churchill said, we form our architecture and then our architecture forms us. Mm. But... Um, the, the, I see several conflicting or intersecting trends. One is energy. I think there's going to be a trend towards more 
energy, uh, you know, efficiency mm -hmm. and, and, you know, zero carbon footprints and zero energy. And uh, green, everything very, green. Very houses. green. And, and mm -hmm. it's, but people still need a certain amount of space. I, that's maybe taking a pri taking priority over aesthetics and other, other yeah. things because that's the, I agree with you, that's the, the way people are thinking and realizing that it's important and it is important. But I think some of the value, other values that we have might get um, shuffled mm -hmm. to a second po secondary mm -hmm. position. Mm -hmm. I think people can take it too far. For example, the um, when you look at these passive solar houses, for example, that are uh, zero energy or various kinds of certifications, the, the, very often you don't have a lot of glass because glass, you, you I mean, a thick wall is much better insulation than a glass window, mm -hmm. no matter, even if it's triple pane, it still doesn't compare to a thick wall mm -hmm. of insulation. And I, I think that's the kind of trade-off that you're talking about, Prue. Right. I mean, people need windows. They need views. I actually like windows that open. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think there's going to be, it's always going to be a trade-off. You can't, I mean, you, there may be ways to do it that allow you to, uh, to have a very pleasant life mm -hmm. inside, but I, I, I think it has to still adapt to the climate mm -hmm. because people themselves, uh -huh. their needs are not changing. But there has to be a, a suitable balance between. Right. You see various uh, fads, uh, for example, the uh, miniature house where it's just one one small room um, on a on a platform without even a basement or anything. Um, and there's also from time to time various movements regarding mobile mobile houses or recreational vehicles that um, are converted into homes, which sort of happens periodically. Mm -hmm. There's a movement for, for that. And it reminds me of uh, uh, the attraction of Swiss chalet-type houses and um, A-frames, which were a, um, a fad. Yes, they were. And you, yeah. you uh -huh. find A-frame camps up at the woods uh -huh. uh, around the lakes and so on that were built during that period. So it's hard to know what's going to be a fad and what's going to be lasting as an, as an actual uh, architectural development. Or maybe um, all of the above. All of the above. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Well, I, I think so, economics is driving a lot of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you think about the, the small house, which can be in various styles, but the, the bottom line is that they're very, very inexpensive. And mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone's checked their uh, rental prices in cities like Boston recently, but mm. the, if, if you're a young person starting out, I don't know how you can rent an apartment yeah. for, that isn't prohibitively expensive. Yeah, and, right. Yeah, right. So, so it's... I, th I think that's that's driving the bus mm -hmm. uh, on this. And, you know, another w one way around that uh, reminds me of uh, Expo 67 at, mm -hmm. in Montreal when Masha Safdie designed uh, that that uh, complex where the buildings, building apartment units were prefab mm -hmm. and they were all stacked up in a very modernist uh, sort mm -hmm. of way. Mm -hmm. And it was supposed to be cheap and fast right and well the bottom line is it cost about four times as much as a mm -hmm. conventional building because nothing ever went together properly and it all leaked and the plumbing wouldn't line up and <laughs> it was just a catastrophe but um it was a cool idea and it was an experiment worth trying but the the, the bottom line was was really being driven by cost cost and i think that's reflected in a lot of the um uh, new urban um, architecture in countries like Japan, where a salaryman will have a, a a room that's, you know, a place that just has room for a bed and is very efficient, almost like the uh, bringing back the beds that come down from the walls, the Murphy and so beds, on, Murphy uh -huh. beds, and so on, where everything's yeah. in a very small yeah. space. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, no, super. I mean, you go to a, a Japanese. I've been to various friends' places in Japan, and their their apartments are like six hundred square feet. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> well, what about the future of historic preservation? Do you think we're going to lose the historic architecture, or will there be um, renewed interest in the Historic Preservation Act of 1966, which uh, you know allowed for uh, incentives to preserve historic architecture, or I, is it all going to be think, lost? I, I think it's being challenged. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's. Uh, threatened by the, the need for green buildings and mm -hmm. so forth. I, I think it does put them in, uh, put all buildings in jeopardy. And yet people 
do love old buildings. They do. So you just hope that um, that that it isn't too too destructive. Right. What the next building period? Um, well, of course, I, as, I as uh, members me. of the Historical Commission, we naturally have an, an interest in seeing the historically significant buildings preserved as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I, I, I think it just gets down to value. And, mm -hmm. and the, the key is making sure everyone understands the value of the these value historic of buildings. And, right. and, and, and also, if we're going to talk about you know, being green, it's the embodied energy of these historic buildings. It is one heck of a lot more green to renovate an existing building than to tear it down and build a new building. Yes, that's right. And 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 so I, I think they're going to be these battles back and forth over figuring out the value, and there's many kinds of value of mm -hmm. historic buildings, but also mm -hmm. proving that they're they're greener. It's greener to repair a historic building right. or renovate it than right. to tear it down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what um, do you say? Is there more to say, or are we at well, a stopping uh, let point? Me, let me say that the Beauport Hotel is doing a series of fireside chats, and uh -huh. on the 25th, I'm going to be talking about first period oh, houses lovely. in Gloucester called the, the Top Ten oldest houses in Gloucester. Oh, excellent. And there are just about 10 first period houses. And I think some people from Rockport are coming, so I guess I'll have to mention the Witch House and mm -hmm. the Old Castle right. over there. But there are about 10 uh -huh. early houses. And, and still, Bill, we haven't heard anything about the Harridan House as far as the Dendro, have we? No, I haven't no. heard a word, but no. they're working in the building. I saw them working there today. Um, I, maybe I just need to go down there or something because I, I, I would, I've sort of put them in chronological order, and there's a house on, on Concord Street, um, out quite far. The corner of the house is almost in the road. They've got a rock there to save the corner of the, the house, and I there had been some very early dates on that, but I think that Ann Grady when she did the she looked at it when they did the first period survey, and she um, dated it 1680. That's and so early. it's a toss-up between the Harridan House and that house. I don't know which one is is the oldest. I, well, good luck. Can, on can your you can you repeat the the uh, the time and date of this? Um, it's the 20, 25th, and it's in of February. Of February, it's in the the lobby in front of the fireplace at at the Beauport Hotel. And it's at 6.30, and they'll have refreshments till 7. And then um, I'll talk from 7 to 7.30, mm -hmm. and then a discussion, question and answer period until 8 o'clock, and then more refreshments on the hotel. <laughs> it's, Excellent. It's free. <laughs> I'm coming. Sounds it's good. It's free, <laughs> and everybody's welcome. And, mm. and then, um, it, so that's 8 to 8.30, some more refreshments. And th there was one the other night that I didn't go to that Lise Breen talked about slavery. And she had about 25 people, and she said they kind of hung on until about 9 o'clock. Mm -hmm. So it was 6.30, supposed to be 6.30 to 8.30. But um, It sounds great, and it sounds mm -hmm. like a great opportunity for anyone interested in early Gloucester. Yep. Yeah. Good luck I, on that. Um, I, I think that's... I would not want to live in a first period house. I don't want first period furniture, but I've been passionately interested in them. I've sold a lot of them. I've explored a lot of them. Um, so I'm I'm interested in them, but I don't want one. <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking of one of those pods like they have for the Mars simulations. You know, very simple, no maintenance, uh, me, just me and the cat. <laughs> and, and all my books on my computer, but anyway. <laughs> uh, or either either that or it's a cabin on a lake in Maine, but not an A-frame. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, I'm, I, I think we've sort of explored this, uh, this subject. Um, I don't know if you had anything you wanted to add. You, you brought some papers with you, um, No, the, I, I think we've covered plenty. I mean, okay. there's one can go on and on, but uh, I know. it's... It, it's, it's, it's 
I just think it's important that everyone understands that the the cultural heritage, the historic buildings of Cape Ann are are important and valuable, mm-hmm. and that they should be respected and and preserved the best we can and right. utilized right. as part of today and the future. Right. Nobody well wants spoken. to damage their house. People are damaging their houses all over the place, and they just don't know They better. don't even they, realize They it, don't right. know. Yeah. Uh, nobody wants to harm their house deliberately. Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe, maybe people will be inspired by our podcasts to pay more attention to their, their houses and the history of their houses and the preservation of them. And, and the Historical Commission is always willing and ready to talk to people Absolutely. if they have questions. Yep, we'll be glad to help. And we mm-hmm. meet uh, the last Monday of every month in the third floor conference room at City Hall, and the meetings are open to the public. So uh, this is Mary Ellen LaBianca and Bill Remsen. Bill Remsen. and. Um, Proof Fish signing off and uh, till next time. Mm-hmm.